We're going to be uh, John 13 today, 13, 1 through 17. Uh, before I get started, uh, next Sunday, mark your calendars, we're going to have our State of the Church message. Uh, we'll do it in the meeting room off of the foyer next, uh, next Sunday after church. Uh, if you want to see how God has moved during uh, 2020, come to that meeting. You will be amazed at how God has provided for this church all of last year and continues to provide for us. So I invite all of you to come and visit, ask your questions. Uh, it's our effort to be totally transparent with the finances of this church and the policies of this church. Uh, any of the elders or deacons available are available to you at any time to uh, answer any questions. If they don't know the answers, they will get them and get back to you. So if you'd like to follow along, we're on uh, John chapter 13, verse 1. Oh, unlike Mark, I do have my super-duper extra-giant print Bible, so. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from his supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. When he poured out water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who had betrayed him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on, their, put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you are also, that what you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come toward you this morning, Lord, as your church. Lord, I'll be honest with you, I don't really know what to pray for. So many things are going on in the church and outside the church, Father. And in Luke, you told us that you didn't come to bring peace, but to divide. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, in-laws against in-laws. You know, Lord, we just uh, see the attacks coming. And James, you tell us that we're to take joy in our trials because it will give us, increase our perseverance and it will show us where our faith needs to be strengthened, Father. 
So, Lord, we know that you're in charge. You're, we trust you, Father. Lord, we just uh, pray for your church. We pray for all those that aren't with us today by choice. Lord, we uh, understand that the world tells us that we're, we as a church are to sit down and shut up. So, Lord, I pray that uh, Jesus come quickly. But until you do come quickly, your church will refuse to sit down and shut up. We will continue to speak your word and pass on your message, Father, to all that will listen, bringing, increasing your kingdom throughout the world. So we pray for your strength in that, Father. Lord, I pray that we have uh, ears, to, ears to hear and open hearts to hear the message today from Jack, and we pray for your anointing over him. And we just pray all these things through your precious son, Jesus. Amen. I'm a testimony of his goodness. <clears throat> a long time ago, somebody told me, measure twice, cut once. Never quite been able to get why that's important. That's why the wires from the TVs are three feet too low. I should, I should try to learn that lesson this time. Then uh, this week I wouldn't have to fix that. But um, we're th I'm super thankful for the guys who spent all day Saturday putting that in. <clears throat> we had to uh, replace the projectors. They had all, they were all fading. And uh, so we decided maybe this is a more permanent solution for that. So hopefully that'll meet the need so we can see what we want to worship. Yes, I know you're happy, honey. So um, as we look at John chapter 13 this morning, uh, we have now entered into uh, what scripture calls the, uh, or what people call the, the uh, <clears throat> farewell messages of Christ. Now we're, we're in the final hours. In one chapter we left a week and now we have just hours to the cross. And, and so... As we look at it, the Bible tells in Luke chapter 22, and we'll look at that a little bit later, <clears throat> that on this night of the, light of the Last Supper, the disciples were arguing about something. Do you remember what they were arguing about? Who's the greatest? And we really haven't stopped that fight in the last 2,000 years. Um, mankind is still arguing who, who has the greatest philosophy, who's got the greatest ideas on what to do for what that's so the whole political system of our of our country is kind of kind of ramps that up right well no we know what to do no we know what to do we we're the we're the ones who should decide no we're the ones who should decide and so you have this this idea man the clamoring from mankind not just within the church but is a a, a cry for who's the greatest and very clearly believers know that the answer to that question is Jesus. He's the greatest. That's why whatever Jesus says is the solution is the solution. That's the one we as Bible believers, Christ followers, we would take that uh, whatever Jesus commands, and that's what we want to walk in. That's what we want to fulfill. So as we look at this section of Scripture that we're going to take a look at uh, this morning, we want to ask the question, what was the point 
of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so there's four things we're going to we're going to talk about uh, this morning in light of what was the point? What is it that Jesus is illustrating through this through this act? So we pick it up John 13. One, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and tied it around his waist. Now we have this event taking place with the backdrop of the argument from the disciples about who's the greatest, with the backdrop of the cross, the shadow of the cross is looming, and Jesus understanding these things, understanding that this is the time, it's here. Now is the hour. The time has come. The first thing that he is, is doing is encouraging his disciples in ministry to follow him. See, he's, he's leaving. And it's going to be their time to take over soon. And there's some things he wants them to understand. And one of the great problems of people being able to minister in the spirit following Jesus Christ is this attitude that men have that I'm the greatest. I have all the answers. I have solved all the problems. I have, I have had to sup with people like that before. Maybe you have too. You ever been with somebody who just knows everything? All problems of life are solved. It's like you sit down and start to, start to talk about something. And you just, they just act like they have all the answers. Well, Jesus does have all the answers, but he doesn't pipe up when this is going on. He gets up. He doesn't elevate self. He humbles himself. And he illustrates an incredible, an incredible property, maybe that's the right word, of the nature of God. And he wants us to take that example. He wants us to understand. And not only is this an encouragement for them to go on in ministry, but it's also an expression of the love of God, right? He's expressing his love. Having loved his own, he loved them, what? To the end, right? As, as much as he could and beyond. I have this thing, sometimes my grandson Owen, you know, you guys probably get in these these discussions with your kids or your grandkids. I love you. I love you more. I love you a hundred. I love you a thousand. I love you infinity. Somebody goes to that always. <clears throat> and then I learned recently in math, you can apparently add to infinity, which I don't understand. But so I'll always do infinity plus one. It all keeps going, you know. This is Jesus, his expression to his disciples. I love you to the end. From the beginning of this ministry to the end of this ministry, he loved his own. And he's expressing his love in this act, in what he's doing. He's encouraging them that this is how I want you to function in ministry. 
right? It's not about exaltation. It's, it's not about... Uh, um, it's not about having the best seat at the table or the best parking lot spot in the parking lot. It's about humbling oneself and loving those that the Father had given him. It says, He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, he took a towel, tied it to his waist, and he poured water in a basin, which means as the disciples were preparing for the Last Supper, as the body is gathering, it was tradition that someone would fill up a pot and it would be by the door because nobody wanted to take the job of washing people's feet. They would provide a way for you to wash your own. But apparently in the preparation for the Last Supper, the disciples and their arguing about who's the greatest couldn't be bothered to fill up a bucket. You fill up the bucket. No, I'm not filling up the bucket. I'm Peter. Obviously, I'm in charge of everything. You fill up the bucket. No. I'm maybe not as in charge as you, but I'm in charge enough not to fill up the bucket. So who filled up the bucket? Jesus did. The Bible says he took a basin and he... And he filled it with water and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. As we consider this, I think one of the things, the next two things we're going to focus on in Jesus' illustration here is the, the emphasize, em, emphasis, emphasis, is that the word I want to use? He's emphasizing, that's not it. Whatever. You guys know what I'm trying to say? English is my second language. My first language is stupid. I, I don't know. <laughs> so Jesus is, is giving emphasis to his incarnation. And we see an incredible picture of that. And Jesus is giving emphasis to the nature of God, which is to serve. And we see those things really illustrated well in Philippians chapter 2. So if you got a minute, you can flip over to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to take a look at something that the Lord has for us there. And I'm, I'm just going to read the, at least the beginning of the chapter to you. And if you'll follow along with me. In Philippians 2 verse 1 it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Okay, this is Paul. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. One of the reasons I know that, that Paul is, is obviously speaking through the Spirit here, all Scripture is inspired. So this is through the voice of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is going to pray the exact same thing in John 17. He's going to pray for his people to be of one mind. We are a nation full of multiple minds. We are schizophrenic. And nobody knows what voice to listen to, so the, the sound of voices gets louder and louder and louder. And, and unfortunately, that has infiltrated the church. So Paul is saying, look, I want you guys to, to fulfill my joy. What's my great joy? I want you guys to be united. Now, we want to be united in truth. Nobody's just saying just unite behind whatever old thing you want to unite around. 
we want to unite around the truth. Well, how do we know the truth? That's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the, and the, no man comes to the Father except through me. So we, we want to follow Christ, right? If we're Christians, we're Christ's followers. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? We want to unite. We, we unite around the truth of what Jesus spoke. And so he's saying, look, I want you to complete my joy, have the same mind and the same love in full accord and of one mind. This is for the body of Christ. This is supposed to be our attitude. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition. What did that say? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Did you catch that? How many things should we do for selfish ambition? How many things should we do to be seen by the multitude? How many things should we do so that we will be elevated in the eyes of others? How many things should we do so that we can make claim that I'm the greatest? Nothing, right? Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. What are we seeing in John chapter 13? The argument of the disciples, who's the greatest? Nobody's going to put out a basin of water so anybody can wash their feet. Jesus gets up during the meal. He's going to go take off his outer garment. He's going to clothe himself in a towel. He's going to fill up a basin of water. And they're all watching. And then one by one, he's going to wash their feet. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in lowliness of mind, count others more significant than yourself. This is exactly what the God of the universe is modeling. Right? That's what the God of the universe, the creator of all things, is modeling. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do we accomplish this? From verse 5 on, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of the Father. Paul gives us a great description of exactly what Jesus is emphasizing for his disciples in John chapter 13. It is our responsibility to exalt Jesus. We do that by letting his mind be in us. Let this mind be in you. Have this mind. As believers, our mind ought to be focused on Christ, who left heaven's glory. We can't even fathom because none of us have ever seen it. None of us will ever be able to fathom 
what it is that Jesus did for us just in the incarnation, not even including the, the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. But the incarnation is, it is an incredible idea for us to, in fact, the reality is we don't do a very good, God, very good job of expressing it because we're limited by language. I bet if we spoke Yahwezian, which maybe we will when we get to heaven, we'll speak God's language. When we speak God's language, I bet there's a way to communicate it better. Right? Because in English, we have a hard time communicating what does it mean to be fully God and fully man. Do you know? Oh, I know. There's, there's textbook definitions, and we can read those things. But even after that, we're going to scratch our head and say, I'm not sure how that works. That's just what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that the creator of the universe, God incarnate, that the word who was with God, was face to face with God, was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. So we, we are to keep our minds stayed on this, stayed on this ideal that he left heaven's glory, that he became a man, that he endured the cross. That's the mind of Christ. That, that these thoughts lead us toward joy in Christ and unity in Christ. <coughs> we often get distracted by other stuff. Because we let our minds be focused on something else. Jackie put those boxes too low under the TV. I can't focus on anything he's saying because I see wires. Or, right? I mean, fill in the gap with whatever you want. <clears throat> I can't hear, once upon a time it was, I can't hear Jackie because he's got a top knot, and that's just ridiculous. <laughs> did you see what he did with his hair this week? <clears throat> the point is we keep our mind stayed on Christ. He is the focus of the church. All my joy is in him. All my unity is in him. I need the mindset, my mind to be set on him. Our concern with, with, uh, self, uh, with, with the divine selflessness of Christ, who being in the very form of God did not consider that something to be grasped or flaunted or paraded. That is so opposite of us. Because really we don't have anything to be equal in, right? The, the exaltation of what it is to be almighty God and then be a baby who's fed by a mother. What's that like? We're usually bringing on our own imagination and, and, and inflating our self-worth to be something to grasp. But yet he's not grasping. He's letting go. He's not parading. He becomes that picture for us. Who though he was in the form of God. That word is morphe. Means he is in his DNA is divine. He is Yahweh. One of the things that the Bible teaches is that, is that there is one being of God. And three 
persons or subsistences of, from that one being. That they are distinct, that they are uniquely one, uniquely unified, uniquely distinct, and uniquely difficult to comprehend. That's how it ought to be. Is God. Transcendent above our language. Transcendent above our illustrations. Transcendent above all that we can begin to understand. But he is in the very form. DNA. That's a good way to think of that. Morphe. He is God. Yahweh. And being in the very form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or paraded. He didn't parade his divinity. He didn't come and demand a parade of people honor him as they should have honored him. But rather, Scripture tells us, he emptied himself. This is called the great kenosis. That's the word, kenosis. He emptied himself. This is a phrase that was used in Rome, the idea of the kenosis. A centurion, you've seen movies of Rome, right? And the centurion is the coolest looking soldier ever. The centurion with that red cape and the tall helmet. And you could pick out a centurion on a battlefield without even thinking about it. And you would say to yourself, that dude, a centurion, is over a hundred men. We take him out, we have a hundred confused guys. So in battle... The centurion would do the kenosis. He would take off that pretty gold helmet and all that red. And he would lay it down and he would clothe himself just like every other soldier there. So the enemy would look and see just a bunch of soldiers. We still do that in the military today. Officers do not go into battle with shiny stuff on their collars. They may walk around base with shiny stuff on their collars so that they'll get the proper saluting. But when you go to battle, there's no shiny stuff anywhere. All the shiny stuff is gone. Why? Because the sniper is looking for the shiny stuff. We take that guy out, those guys don't know what's going on. That's the idea. The kenosis was laying aside, laying aside all of that which would have been paraded as this incredible beauty. In fact, we know that, that there's a moment in Jesus' ministry where he takes the, the disciples, the inward group, the guys he couldn't leave alone or they'd get in trouble. He takes those guys, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them to a mountain where his, the veil of his flesh is parted. And he's transfigured before them and they see his glory. And Peter's so blown away. You know, there's Jesus in all his glory. There's Moses and Elijah together with Jesus. The law and the prophets and the Christ right in the middle. And, and he wants to build a bunch of tabernacles. And the father says, this is my beloved son. Shut up and listen to him. I bet that's closer than the translation that you have, just so you know. So there, he's, he's this focus, this is the kenosis, the laying aside, not parading the fact that he is God, emptying himself. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 
does such a great job of expressing it. Listen, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Though he, though he is God, very God, absolutely and completely, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He became poor. He emptied himself, did not grasp at that which makes him God, but rather he emptied himself. And he came in this example. How did he do this? He did this by the addition of humanity, not the subtraction of deity. That's an important theological concept you need to maintain. The addition of humanity, not the subtraction of deity. But cloaking yourself in humanity did mask deity. That's what the transfiguration was all about. He pulled apart the veil which is his flesh. And they saw the glory beneath. So you have this idea through the addition of his humanity... Uh, he is, while fully God, according to Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, he is covered, clothed in humanity. No subtraction of deity has taken place, but in the addition of humanity there is a covering. Matthew 17, you guys have time to, to look at it. We're not going to take time this morning, but Matthew 17 is the transfiguration where Jesus' flesh is parted and they see the glory of the deity beneath. They see the beauty of who, of who Christ is. But I, I want to continue to develop this idea together with John chapter 13. Jackie, what's your point? Look at Philippians 2 verse 7. He emptied himself by taking the form. You see that phrase again? By taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. In the same way that Jesus' form is Yahweh. In the same way that Jesus' DNA is deity, his DNA is servant. John chapter 13 is a great illustration of that truth. That the God of the universe it does not parade that, but rather the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten. We beheld his glory, the one who's in the bosom of the Father, the only God who is in the bosom of the Father. He, Jesus Christ, has revealed him, <coughs> the Father, to us. We see this beautifully illustrated in John chapter 13. What makes Jesus God also makes Jesus servant. It's the opposite of the clamoring and noise to be the greatest. The world always appreciates that Attitude, right? Otherwise, every sport guy that you ever saw on TV wouldn't talk about how good he is or how good his team is. We're the greatest. We're number one. We're the best. Jesus would say, that's not something I'm parading. I want to parade 
service. So the God of all the universe put on flesh and died for us. Was there a better picture of servant? Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our attitude. This is how we are supposed to relate with one another. By having that mind, by having that attitude, by recognizing the beauty of Christ displayed, but also knowing morphe, he he was made in the morphe, the DNA of a servant. Just as his essence is God, his essence is servant. 1 Corinthians 1.22, it says, For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The world doesn't look at that and go, well, that's how we should do it. It is, a, it is opposite to that. It's a great paradox. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed. We confess is the mystery of godliness. He, Christ, was manifest in the flesh. And the word was with God. The word was God. And the word did what? Became flesh. He's manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, and seen by angels. He's proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up to glory. It's, it's, it's the perfect, it's absolutely perfect picture. And we have this all tied in together. Why? Because he models humility. He's the humble king. The humble king will return, and the humble king will be the exalted king. But here, he's the humble king. He comes in riding on a donkey. Go ahead. I know they say historically that kings would ride in on donkeys when it was about peace. Okay, Kings never rode in on donkeys. Why? Because it was humiliating. Because there's a tendency to laugh. So you ride a donkey, nobody looks cool riding a donkey. Your feet drag on the ground. You look ridiculous. Jesus did it fulfilling scripture that he had come in peace. The humble king, right? I'm not here to exalt. I'm not here. This is not the day of the Lord. This is what he's signifying. Because if it's the day of the Lord, he's coming on a white horse and there's blood everywhere. So he's coming lowly, gentle, providing the incredible picture of humility. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or paraded. He was humble, and being found in human form, he humbled himself even to the point of death. Nobody could kill him. No one could kill Jesus. I don't care what they did to him. No one could kill him. Here is what killed Jesus. His final words on the cross. Do you remember them? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Otherwise, he could still be on the cross. 
You can't kill the one who is life. He gave his spirit to his father. He humbled himself all the way to the point of death. And so the father has exalted his name above every name. Every name. What does the Bible say? Humble yourself and the Lord will what? Lift you up. So say argue about who's the greatest and God will say you're the right. You're the greatest. No, it's not what it says. That's not what it says, right? This picture, this is an incredible picture that we want to keep in mind. Luke 22, I told you we were going to talk about. It says, the dispute arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them should be regarded as the greatest. Maybe they're arguing over who should fill up the water. And he said to them, Jesus, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. This is not how you are supposed to be. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines? Yet I am here among you serving. This is the attitude that the Lord wants. This is what he's illustrating in John 13. This is what goes against our human nature. Because as soon as somebody treats us like a servant, we get all upset. Right? Don't don't look down at me. I'm the greatest. I know it because it happens to me too. This is part of the human condition. This is part of what we have to surrender. This is part of how we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. So Jesus gets to the basin of water. He's clothed in a towel, and he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, no, no. You ever been in a foot washing ceremony? If you've never experienced it, it is as horrific as you can imagine. It is, it, for the one washing feet, it's not horrific at all. It's actually pretty awesome. What's horrific is having your feet washed. It's horrible. We did this at a, a, a the stake and study in Kimberly, uh, I taught on John 13, and so we, we did a foot washing ceremony. And it is the single most humbling thing ever. In fact, uh, I, get it, I get the ball started, and then I go away. That's how bad it is. To have someone sit you in a, in a chair and take off your boots, your shoes, and, and wash your feet, no conversation you're like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That's what Peter's saying. Lord, don't do that, especially the Lord. Are you kidding me? Lord, don't, no, what are you doing? I, I, I can't have you wash my feet. Jesus said, what I am doing, you don't understand. But afterwards, you will. So when we consider this discussion that Jesus is going to have, 
there's some lessons we need to take from this. This illustration of the nature of God and the service of God, right? Encouraging his disciples and showing his love to them. Let me tell you, number one, first thing you want to take away from this discussion with Peter. When you don't understand what's going on, why don't you just rest that Christ does? You ever found yourself wrestling with God? Bad place to be. So, so the Lord says to Peter, Peter says, what are you doing? I don't understand what you're doing, right? This is, this is what Peter's expressing, and, and Jesus saying, look, I know you don't understand it now, but afterwards you will. That's good enough. That's good enough. That'd be a good place to stop. Okay, Lord. Yes, Lord, we sang a song. I love that song we sang today about all I did was praise. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but I love it every time we do it. And whenever I sing it, I, I think about the Song of Moses. You guys know what the Song of Moses is? Song of Moses, Moses wrote a song after the crossing of the Red Sea. While they were pinned between a rock and a hard place with Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, nowhere to escape, the people grumbled. Then God delivered, parted the Red Sea, they got to the other side and sang the Song of Moses. I always want to try to be the person who sings the song of Moses first. My tendency is to grumble. Right? That's I'm just being real. That's it, it sometimes leaps out of my mouth before I've even thought about it. Ask Kathy, she'll tell you. And I what I but what I want, it just shows my nature is out of whack with what I want my nature to be in reality. What I want my nature to be in reality is someone who will praise God even if I don't understand how this is all going to work out. Isn't that a, an exact representation of what our nation looks like right now? How's that all going to work out? I don't know. Jesus does. What I'm doing now, you won't understand, but later you will. Is that enough for you? That's what Jesus is saying. Well, Lord, <laughs> that's why there's more than one part to this. Because Peter couldn't be quiet either. When I don't understand, I want to rest in his knowledge. Verse 8. So Peter said, you shall not wash my feet. Okay. Lesson one on things you don't say to God. <laughs> you shall not. Should not be a sentence you formulate, right? Or this one, we hear Peter say it often. Not, not so, Lord. No. Yeah, that's another one you don't say. You just don't say it. Here he says, you will never wash my feet. So Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you will have no part in me. Peter, if you don't let me do this, you're not mine. So, when we say, never, Lord, never, realize God has a reason. We are to have his mind. Okay, maybe I will get strung up later. But we are not to have the mind of the Republican Party. We are to have the mind of Christ. 
We are not to have the mind of whatever thing, whatever political bend. Look, I get bent just as much as anybody else. But that's not our mind. It's supposed to be Christ. Who did what? Humbled himself. And then, and then washing Peter's feet, Peter saying, no, 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 no. And what is it that Jesus says? If you don't let me do this, you, I, you have no part in me. You have no part of me. We, we don't say never to God. We trust his reason. We rest in his knowledge. And then Simon Peter, because he could never be quiet for 10 minutes. Verse 9. I, I think, honestly, I'm, I feel a lot like him most of the time. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet and is completely clean. And you are clean, Peter, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When we think we know what Jesus means, I'm sure that Peter's not entirely sure. When we think we know what Jesus means, we rely on his word. What did he say? We hold fast to what his word says. We rely on him. John 15, 3, Jesus is going to say, already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus said, I only speak the word the Father gives me to speak. John chapter 6, he says that, that uh, the Father, all who listen to the Father, respond to the Father, they are those who come to him. And those who come to him, he will not cast out. Those who come to him, he will raise up in the last day. And here he says to Peter, you're, you're clean. You're responding. You have responded to that word that is given, but he says not all of you are. Because Jesus knows their heart, right? He knows. The, the chapter begins framing Judas, the devil having already put into his heart to betray the Christ. Jesus looks at him and washes his feet and knows he's going to betray him. Scripture tells us now, in verse 12, it says, And when he had washed their feet, each one of them, and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? So Jesus is saying, what just occurred is an illustration, right? I'm illustrating something to you. Do you understand what I have done? Do you understand what has happened? You call me teacher and Lord. Rabbi? Yeah? Curios, the idea of king, king, teacher, rabbi, you are right, for such I am. If I then, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, what's he say? You should wash one another's. You should wash one another's feet. should help cleanse that dirty part, that nasty 
Nobody wants to take their shoes off in public. God have mercy if you're a teenager and you do it. There are worse things. When my kids were playing football. Kathy made them take off all their stuff outside and leave it out there. They are very odorous. <laughs> so here the Lord is saying, look, I want you, I, this is bigger than just washing their feet, right? He's signifying more than just the physical aspects of, hey, your feet are dirty and you should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Just as I have done to you. He said to Peter, you're already clean. You're already clean. I just need to wash your feet. The idea of already being clean, I would say, would, would be illustrated for you and I in Titus, where Titus tells us that we've been washed by the regeneration of the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again, to be in the family of God. And so we are clean, but we go through life and get dirty, don't we? That's illustrated all throughout the Old Testament that, that the, the, the nation of Israel, almost every time they tried to go to worship, they were bumping into something that made them unclean. That's why right outside the temple you have mikvaots. You have ritual baths so that they could wash themselves and be clean and then have nowhere to go but right up the steps into the temple area. Because when we walk around this life, our feet get dirty. So what should we do? Help wash each other's feet. Help wash one another's feet. Recognize. Some, some of the most incredible things you can do for someone is not gossip about what you know they've done wrong. But cover. The Bible says love does what? covers a multitude of sin. Isn't that what Christ does? Recognizing they've been washed. They've been washed by the blood, right? But they're not completely clean, so we should help. Let's wash their feet. It's not an exaltation of, of one over the other. It's a humiliation, humbling yourself. The Bible says that you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, should restore another in a spirit of meekness and fear, gentle. Yeah, we want to be gentle, but how else? You better realize that there's nothing that separates you from them. There is nothing that separates you from them. If I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, I would never do something like that. Lord, have mercy on your soul. We are broken. We need to trust Christ. So when we restore a brother who has repented, right? That's the requirement. They have, they have confessed their sin. They're seeking to be cleansed, yes? And we come alongside and we help restore. How's that occur? Through discipleship, through washing feet, through Humbling yourself and making yourself available to one another. Not from ostracizing. The Bible says we, we should follow suit with the Lord, right? He resists the proud, but does what? Gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to those who have 
humbly come, humbly confess, humbly turned, are trusting Christ, and somebody needs to wash their feet. That should be us. Looking for that opportunity to encourage a brother. Listen to what the Lord tells us at the end. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So if you know these things, these things that I've told you, if you know them, you'll be happy. Is that what he says? No. What's he say? He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Somehow... The, our understanding has got to move from our head to our hands. Right? We know it, but are you doing it? We know how we ought to respond, but are we responding? Jesus, in the midst of this discussion with the disciples and them <clears throat> walking around and talking about how great they are, he was, he was uh, maybe so struck in that moment that he gave this incredible illustration of the incarnation. And their Lord and teacher got up from the table and he took off his robe and he put on a towel and he filled up a basin of water and he went from disciple to disciple to disciple and washed their feet. And then afterwards he said, do you understand what I have done? Do you understand? You're arguing about who's the greatest and Jesus is the greatest. And what was the example he gave? He washed their feet. This is the call of Christ to his church. He has a desire. He has a prayer, right? He prays to the Father, Lord, let them be one as we are one. He prays for his disciples. He prays for those who would come after them in John chapter 17. And here we find ourselves in the, in the last days. I don't know if we're in final hours, final week, final month, final year. doesn't matter. The commission is the same. Jesus looked at his disciples and he loved them to the end. And he gave an illustration of that. And then he says to you and I, now do likewise. Love each other. Take care of each other. Don't let the arrows of the enemy embed into your mind and start thinking wicked thoughts about one another or wicked thoughts about what somebody's doing. That is how the devil sows discord but the Bible teaches us to take every thought captive in Christ let the mind of Christ be in you put out those fiery darts let the mind of Christ be in you walk humbly ask the Lord how would you have me serve the body how would you have me wash people's feet Maybe you could visit someone. Maybe you could pray with someone. Maybe you could just say hi. But we want to be men and women who are expressing the love of Christ through the things we do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for this time, this opportunity to study your word. Lord, I do pray, God, that, Father, we would be sensitive to your voice. Your voice matters above all others. May our ears be turned and tuned to you to respond, to go where you lead us, to be what you're calling us to be, to, to touch one another in a, in a way that glorifies you and honors you. If you lead us to rebuke, may we rebuke in gentleness and love. If you lead us to restore, may we restore in gentleness and love. If you lead us to encourage, may we encourage in gentleness and love. Whatever you lead us to do, may we do it like you. May we have the mind of Christ. May we learn from this example of of the incredible beauty of the humble king who took off the robes of heaven clothed himself as an infant. We spend all eternity and never come to the end of comprehending that. May we love one another that way. Jesus, you said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love each other. You wash each other's feet care for one another. When the church was gathered and thrown before the wild beasts to be devoured, they would huddle in the middle of the of the amphitheater. They would huddle in the middle and they would sing a hymn. And the whole world looked at it and said, what is this? These people are crazy. So much so that that people saw that and wanted to be with them in the middle of the theater rather than be watching. People wanted to be gathered together because that, that family, that unity, that beauty is what we all long for on this rock. only find it Jesus way so God move in us equip us use us as we surrender to you God be glorified in this place and make us like that 